John chapter 12. Hey, let me ask you, do you guys ever watch a movie, maybe a TV show, and there may be a character or a couple of characters in the movie or in the show that you can just, you just resonate with? You're just like, holy cow, that's me, you know? Um, I try to do that with Maverick all the time, all right? <laughs> Give me my F-14 or whatever, and I'm good to go. But um, as I thought about that, Paul and I, in our soon-to-be this year 30 years of marriage, there are two shows particularly. I mean, there's been different shows that we've watched, and we're like, holy cow, that's like us. But there's two shows in particularly that we just identify with, and we see the characters. One was from the 90s, um, Home Improvement, with Tim and Jill. And um, I was Tim, and she was Jill. I was always putting my foot in my mouth, and she was always having to take it out. Okay? Now, after 30 years, we look at ourselves with a current show with the same actor, with Tim Allen, of um, Last Man Standing, with Mike and Vanessa Baxter. And, and, and we watched that, and we, were, we literally have just said out loud, and we're like, we are truly these people. I mean, everything about them is us. And we have just looked at both shows. And, but I, I, I looked at that, and I believe that is our, our, our text for today. Because in our text, the first 11 verses of chapter 12, we're going to see five characters pop out. All right? And the goal of this message is not just to go through these texts and, well, I see what happened with them. But the, hopefully the thing is, can you identify yourself with them? Can you look at these characters and maybe there's one or maybe multiple characters in these texts and you go, I see myself there. I identify with that person. And so the title of my message is simply Identify. And, and I hope, and by the time we're done with this message, you identify yourself and you see yourself within some of these characters. So let's begin with the first character here and who we can identify with. And let's begin with this. I identify with, number one, the service of Martha. Let's see if we can identify with the service of Martha. And so in chapter 12, starting with verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one who was reclining at the table. Now notice it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came back to Bethany. Now let's recall from chapter 11, Jesus had done the, the, this amazing miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. He had been dead for four days. He was in the tomb. Jesus goes up to the tomb, calls him out. He resurrects him from the grave. He comes out and he's alive and amazing. And as we saw, there was actually two groups of people who were there. One group of people saw the resurrection of, of Lazarus and the raising of the dead put their faith in Jesus. They're like, wow, you are who you say you are. There's nobody else who could do that. Only God himself can do that. So obviously you are him. And they believed in who Jesus was. But then there was another group of people who was what? Do you remember? Non-believers. They're like, nah, still don't believe it. I don't care what you do, dude. I'm not going to believe in who you are. I don't believe anybody is God except for their... And 
you had this group of people who didn't believe in Jesus, what he did after. And they went and like, you know, like little baby kids and, and narked on Jesus to the religious leaders. They went to the Pharisees and they're like, oh, you, 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 do you know what Jesus did? And they told the religious leaders what Jesus did. And it was at that point that the, all the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody turned up the heat. And they're like, it's time. It's time for this guy to die. And they put out an arrest warrant for him. And they're like, anybody who sees him, anybody who knows where he is, you come and tell us because we're going to arrest this guy. We're going to kill him. Well, if you remember in verse 54, it says that Jesus left the area. He left Bethany. He left Jerusalem. And he went to a little town called Ephraim, and he stayed there. He got out of the, the, the eyes of the people. Well, now he has returned back to Bethany. Now, from, him from the time of him raising Lazarus from the tomb and leaving to now was probably six to eight weeks, all right? Because even in chapter 11, they were preparing for Passover. So it was getting close. Now Jesus has returned back to Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, six days before the Passover. Six days before his last supper. Six days before his arrest. Six days before his trial. Six days before the end of his life. He knows it. He returns back to Bethany because he knows it's time. My time is up. It's time for the Father's will to be put in place. And now he returns to the heart of the lion's den. And he's back in Bethany. And notice there it says that they gave a dinner for him there. Now, if you just read this, let me ask you, what is your assumption? Where did he have dinner at? Do you know? Where would you think he's having dinner at? Mary and Martha's house. That would just make sense, right? Wrong. That is not where he's having dinner at. Because if you, and the reason why I want to say this is because if you go to Mark chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 26, and you read those two accounts, it's the exact same account, but he's at a different house, Simon the leper's house. Now you're thinking, well, is this a contradiction? No, it just says here in John, they had a dinner for him, didn't it? It doesn't specify where. They just had a dinner for him. So let me ask you, if you came, if, you, if I were to say, hey, I had dinner last night, would you assume that I ate at my house? Yeah, but what if, I, what if Paula said, oh, we had dinner at McDonald's? Is there a contradiction there? No, I just didn't tell you where I had dinner. John simply is not communicating that. He's just saying they threw a dinner. Matthew and Mark got a little more specific. They threw him a dinner at Simon the leper's house. And guess who decided to still serve? Martha. All right? Now notice there in verse 2, it simply says Martha served. Okay? Martha served. Now here's where I want to go with this. I want us to see this. I mean, two simple words, Martha served. But I want you to notice there's something missing from those two words. Martha served. Something's missing. 
Who would like to take a stab? Who's really just on it this morning? Would like to be able to tell me what's missing? Anybody? What? Nope. Nope. Anybody? Nope, Mary's there. Okay. I was wondering if anybody's going to get that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the text. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm just going to read the text, and I'm going to see if from the text you can tell me what is missing in, from John chapter 12. So in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, this is actually, I'm, I'm, as I read this, I'm, I believe this is actually the first time that he meets Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Because you got to remember, Jesus' ministry was about three years long, all right? We read these texts, and we're thinking five minutes, all right? So John chapter 10, I believe, is probably two to two and a half years earlier than John, or Luke chapter 10 is two to two and a half years earlier than John chapter 12, all right? So it says, now as they went along their way, meaning the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Mar Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is why I believe, you notice there's a woman named Martha, and she had a sister, introducing us to Mary and Martha, and Jesus is teaching them. I believe this is when Mary and Martha and Lazarus first become believers of Jesus Christ at this moment. And he's teaching them. In verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care about my sister, care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come and help me. Back to John 12. Martha served. No complaining. That's what's missing. You see, in Luke chapter 10, two and a half years earlier, this is why I believe that that was their first initial contact with Jesus. He shows up to Bethany and Martha says, hey, come to my house. We are introduced to Mary and Martha for the first time. And he's teaching them. What do you think Jesus is teaching them? Who he is. I'm the Messiah. I'm the light of the world. That's what Jesus always taught. He wasn't teaching two plus two is four. He's teaching, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the son of God. Put your faith in me. You'll have eternal life. That's what Jesus is always teaching. And so he's sitting there teaching them this. And I believe it's at this moment that this family first comes to know Jesus, truly believing in him. Now you fast forward to John chapter 12, two and a half or two years later, guess what's happening with Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Their friendship with Jesus has increased, but guess what else has increased in them? Maturity. In, John, in Luke chapter 10, Martha's the baby. Uh, Jesus... Why do I got to serve by myself? You tell my sister to come and help me. John chapter 12. Because if you, in the, in the text, you're going to see Lazarus, as it says, was already reclining. 
He, he's already, hey, I'm, I'm ready for some eating. Martha or Mary is not serving. Martha is. But you don't read again. Jesus, tell my sister to come and help me. Why is she doing what she's doing? She needs to stop that. I'm, I'm doing all the work by myself. Jesus, I'm tired of this. This happened to me before. Let's, I'm, no. Now it's Martha served. Here's what happens with spiritual maturity. When you are spiritually maturing and spiritually growing, um, things change within you. Things like your perspective. Things like your attitude, things like your heart, those things change. And when your perspective changes, when your outlook changes, when your, your attitude changes, all of a sudden you go from it's all about me to all about whom? It's all about Jesus. Martha before was all about her. Jesus, I'm serving by myself. Jesus, tell my sister to come and help me. I need help. I want, now it's Martha served. Why? Why did Martha just serve this time? Because I believe over the years, how many of you know that, that Jesus probably hung out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus quite a bit? Because we know from chapter 11, he loved them a lot. All right? How many of you know you don't come to love someone by just showing up a couple times a day? That he had a deep relationship. So I'm assuming from the first time he met them until now, he taught them and they grew and they matured. Now she's at a point, she's like, I'm serving not the family. I'm serving my Lord. I'm serving because Jesus is in my house. I'm serving because of him. And that's the reason why I'm doing this. That's maturity. That's what spiritual growth is about. Okay? It was funny. I was in my office just kind of going over this this morning. When did we come to the idea that memorizing all the books of the Bible is spiritual maturity? You ever think about that? Because how many of you have ever been told, you got to memorize the books of the Bible? Or we put our kids through a, a Sunday school program where they learn the books of the Bible. I'm just, maybe call me a heretic. I don't know. But why, what, what does memorizing the books of the Bible do anything for us spiritually? Nothing. Okay? It literally does nothing. Because you can memorize all the books in the Bible. You can memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, Sam. You can go through all 66 books and still not be spiritually mature. Maturity comes when I start doing what the Bible tells me. Martha is exhibiting spiritual maturity. She's grown up in the how, ever, how long, two or two and a half years since their prior engagement. And now she is just simply serving because her attitude is all about Jesus. Her perspective is all about Jesus. Her heart is all about Jesus. And she's like, I'm giving him my best right now. Martha served. What about you? 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, and this is why I said what I said in the offering, so many of you are serving in this church so faithfully. And that's why part of me, I'm like, man, maybe this point's redundant. But you know what? Let me ask you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you're not serving, why not? And I'm going to be brutally honest right now. Because you're spiritually immature. Something's not registering in your heart yet. Because as a believer in Christ, if I'm growing as a believer in Christ, if I'm maturing and my heart's different, my attitude's different, my perspective's different, guess what the number one thing is going to start coming out of me? I want to serve Jesus. It just will flow. There's no way, there is no way we can call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ and not serve. Because if I am, if, if the Holy Spirit is flowing through me, if Jesus truly is my Savior and I want to be like him, then I will act like him because he came not to be served, but to serve. And the way you and I serve Jesus is by loving and serving others. That's why Paul writes, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's, that's having a mature heart. That's having a mature perspective. That's having a mature understanding of what, hey, this is what scripture is all about. Being a mature, you, again, being a mature believer does not mean that you can quote 15 different scriptures. It's not about memorizing scripture. Yes, memorize scripture, but just to memorize scripture, just to say, I can memorize scripture, doesn't mean anything. Unless I'm taking those memorized scriptures and applying them to my life. And as a, as a mature believer, one of the first things that we should be doing is serving. Serving others, loving others, being plugged in the ministry. One of my prayers for this church, and it's been my prayer ever since day one, is that every single person who attends this church, who calls themselves a believer in Jesus Christ, who says, I am a Christian, doesn't sit on the sideline, but is engaged in the game. That you are in a ministry somewhere doing something, serving others and loving others somehow, some way. That you are maturing and growing, and part of that, a mark of maturity is serving. So let me ask you, do you identify with Martha? Do you look at Martha and go, that's me. I love to serve. And I'm not serving so I can get more attention. I'm serving because I love Jesus. That's my perspective. That's my heart is I'm serving because of him. Number two. So we identify, you can identify with Martha. Here's the second person. Um, do you identify with the sacrifice of Mary. I can identify with Martha. Secondly, I can identify with the sacrifice of Mary. Now look at verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed his feet, anointed the, the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, let's look at this for a little bit. You notice it says she took a pound of ointment. 
Now, this ointment was actually, it was 12 ounces of aromatic or perfumed oil extracted from a plant called nard, okay? Now, there's two things that I want us to see about this oil. First, you notice it says that she anointed Jesus' feet with this oil. Now, again, if you go back to Matthew and, and Mark you're going, and you read this account, you're going to read that she anointed his head, all right? And again, you may read Matthew and Mark, and it says that she anointed his head. John says she anointed his feet. Let me ask you, is that a contradiction of statements? No. Here's why. Because when you put all three together, she would have done what? Both. She probably started with his head, poured it on his head, and then as it flowed down, she would have went down to his feet and anointed his feet. All right? Now, why is this significant? Because if you remember from chapter 11, when the high priest had said that he prophesied, and he prophesied about the death of Jesus and that Jesus' death would save the nation and then save everybody else, and, he didn't, and it says that he didn't even realize it because he didn't do it himself. It was like God speaking through him. So he puts out this prophecy about Jesus dying to save people. Well, Martha is anointing Jesus before his burial. You see, a, 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 a fragrant oil like this was used at a funeral. See, we embalm people today. Not back then. So it wouldn't take long for, do you remember Lazarus? Why, why did they not want Jesus to roll away the, the stone? It would smell. So they put anointing oils on a body after it died for only one reason, cover up the stink. She's anointing Jesus. And I believe just like the high priest had a prophecy of Jesus dying, Martha is doing something prophetically without even realizing it. I'm anointing his body for death. Now, how many of you would agree that Jesus knew that in six days I'm going to die? It's not like he showed up to Bethany with no clue. But what about Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and everybody else at this house right now? You think they thought he was going to be dying in six days? No. Hey, they were like, hey, Jesus is back. Let's have dinner, man. Where have you been? Tell them what's been going on. And yet Jesus knows what's going, on, what's going to happen. And here's Martha or Mary taking this perfume and anointing his body. Because even though she doesn't know it, she's prophetically saying something's about to happen. So that's one thing we see with this oil. But here's the second thing. Look at the text and tell me, what do you think is like, what, what, what word stands out about this oil? Anybody? Expensive. It doesn't say she anointed him just with any oil. She anointed him with an expensive oil. Now, we're going to get here, to, here in, in the text in a little bit that Lazarus is going to make a, a, a statement. And he's like, hey, we could sell this oil for 300 denarii. Now, you and I are like, oh, that doesn't sound like a lot of money. It was a year's wages. Now, think about that for a moment. A year's worth of money for perfume. That's a lot of money 
for some smelly smelly. The O de Tulak, whatever they say. That's a, I mean, think about, think about an ounce of a very expensive like French perfume. You, you can pay $1,000 up to it for an ounce. This was 12 ounces. And she pours it on him. Expensive. You see the sacrifice. Mary sacrificed. Mary, Mary didn't take what she had left over. She didn't go down her perfume line and was like, ooh, that's, that's, ooh, that's a good one. Ooh, ew, I'll take that one. That's nasty. No, she was like, she opened up the vault in the wall. She opened that thing up and she's like, oh, there's the, there's the perfume right there. Nobody touches that, but I'm gonna give it to Jesus because it's the best. And she gave when she still had time. I like what commentator in his commentary, Warren Wiersbe says, he says, Mary was showing her devotion to Jesus before it was too late. She was giving the roses while he was still alive and not bringing them to the funeral. She wasn't going to wait until he died to his his body. She did it now. She didn't give her best when he was gone. She gave her best while he was there. You see, Mary kind of had the same idea as David, King David did in 2 Samuel um, when it says that David would not buy something. He would not take something if it cost him nothing. He wouldn't give anything to the Lord if it cost him nothing. Martha or Mary understood that she's like, I'm not going to give Jesus just some oil or any kind of oil. I'm going to give Jesus what kind of oil? The expensive stuff, the best stuff, my first part. I'm giving her the best of what I have. Just like Martha served, revealed her spiritual maturity. If you remember in the story before in Luke, it just says that Martha or Mary just hung around and listened. Didn't give anything. But this time, she gave her best. She gave the expensive perfume, showing maturity. She gave from her heart. She's, again, her perspective. Her vision changed. It wasn't about anybody else except only one person. Who was it? Jesus. That's it. Martha and Mary had the exact same experience, just in different ways. They understood this is only about one person right now. It is not about, it's not about Lazarus. He came back from the dead. That's great. This is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is about the Alpha and the Omega. This is about the resurrection and the life. This is about the one who claims to be the light of the world, the bread of life, the one who can give me eternal life. He is the one that I am giving my best to. Because they understood and they got it and they were maturing. You see, Mary didn't give her leftovers. Mary just didn't give her, give any kind of perfume. She gave the best. And what's interesting, I think, with a lot of Christians, too many of us, we love the idea of eternal life. We love the idea of, hey, that's the life we have in the next life. 
but we don't want to sacrifice for Jesus in this life. You ever hear, you know, sometimes you'll hear people, you'll hear like, like the, the, the rumor mill, how somebody like gave a million dollars to a church. And I always wonder, I'm like, that's awesome. After their death, they give a million dollars. If you all died and you want to give a million dollars to this church, I'd be great. But here's what I would rather have. Are you sacrificing now? Because I always wondered, those people who die and give all the money to the church, how much did they give to the church while they were alive? You see, that's when it matters. Because when you're dead and you give it away, it doesn't mean anything. That's easy. Sacrificing for Jesus now is hard. The reality is living for Christ will require sacrifice. There's no other equation that you can put together. Christ equals sacrifice. He sacrificed for us. We sacrifice for him. And the reality is serving in ministry is sacrifice. It sacrifices your time. Attending a small group and ministering to other people requires sacrifice. Loving others and doing to others requires sacrifice. When we tithe, I taught on this a while back, just a, just a few weeks ago. When we tithe, that 10%, even though it's not commanded of us in the New Testament, it's still an act of worship that says, I'm giving my best. I'm giving that first fruit right off the top. God, this is yours, and I'm honoring you with it. I'm going to give you the best. It's a sacrifice, all right? I mean, there's still times I'm writing that, that I mean... I write our tithe check out, and I'm like, I could do something with this. You ever have that, those thoughts sometimes? Like, man, God, I could really use this extra whatever. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? Mary sacrificed, and, and that's what we are, to sacrifice. Do you identify with that? But here's the second thing that we need to see about Mary. Not only did she um, sacrifice the expensive oil, the, the oil, but right there at the end of verse 3, notice what she did after she poured it probably down his head and then she was on her hands and feet, on her, on a, on her hands and, and, and knees, and she puts it on his feet, but look what she does. She wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we may read that and go, oh, that's, that's kind of gross you got to go back to what it meant to be a woman with long hair in biblical times. She would have had really long hair in order. I don't think she had a little crop hair and was like, okay. I'm thinking she had really long hair and was able to take it. And so it was probably up in a bun. Because in biblical times, women could not wear their hair down. There was only one woman who wore their hair down. A prostitute. Most women didn't. You wore your hair up especially in the, the presence of other men. To let your hair down, you didn't do that. It just wasn't, it, it was culturally not right. When she let her hair down and she took her hair and wiped his feet, the Bible tells us that a woman's hair is her glory. When she was letting her hair down, 
It was like she was taking a position of a slave and she was taking all of her glory and giving it to Jesus. Because think about that for a moment. She would have to be on her hands and knees taking her hair that was her glory and using it to take a foot that has been walking on dirt that day, anointing it with oil and then wiping it off with her hair. She was saying, Jesus, all I have is yours. I am prostrating myself before you because you are my king. I'm your servant. And all my glory is for you. All I have is for you. Do you identify with that? Because again, sometimes we're, we, 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 we like, well, I'll give Jesus a little bit of this, but I'm hanging on to this. I'll give Jesus that, but I'm hanging on to that. Or do we say it's all yours? It's all yours, Jesus. All my time and all my, my talent is yours, wherever you need to use me for your glory. All my money, all I have is yours. Here it is. And we surrender it. And we give it to him. So, can you identify with the sacrifice of Mary? Let's look at the third one. This is, not the good, this is one of the ones that's not very good. The selfishness of Judas. Look at verse 4. It says, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag. And here it is. He used it to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that, you may, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For that was the poor, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Do you think Jesus was like swindled by Judas? Do you think Jesus was like, oh, wow, Judas, I never really thought about that. Or do you think Jesus knew the heart of Judas? He knew. Judas was only looking out for himself. And he wanted to sell the ointment because he's thinking, I can put a year's worth of wages in the money. Oh, wow, I can dip my fingers into that and I can get even more. Now, I don't know what he was spending it on because you would think the other disciples would have been like, dude, where are you getting those fancy robes? How are you getting so much? How come you're eating at the expensive restaurants and we're not? What's going on? Now, we don't know, but he was taking extra money. He was stealing it for himself. Judas was about himself and not serving others. You can't, I, I don't need to go on anymore on that point right there for him, from him. He was selfish. Let me ask you, do you identify with Judas? That's a hard admit. Because you see, selfishness cripples my walk with Christ. You see, selfishness protects my time. Selfishness says, you know what, I, I understand we got to serve, but I just don't have time to serve. Selfishness says, I don't have time to connect in a small group and, and help and, and minister to anybody else. Selfishness protects my money. 
Selfishness says, well, I've got, I got things I need to buy. I got things I need to have. I, 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 wanna, I, I gotta take care of myself. And if I have anything left over, maybe I'll give to God. So I'm not gonna give. You see, selfishness protects self. And that's a dangerous place. Now, as I thought about this, I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because the reality is we're all selfish. All right? All of the disciples were selfish because two of them, James and John, actually even went to Jesus one day and it was like, he, they commanded him, let us sit at your right hand and left hand when you get into your kingdom. Um, that's where we want to sit. And Jesus is like, what? Like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Anybody in agreement? That's pretty selfish. The, the disciples were always arguing about one another. They, they were always trying to, I am the best disciple. Jesus loves me more than you. I, look at me, man. I, I'm, they thought they were just too sexy for their tunics. <laughs> I know, isn't that a good one? But the reality is these guys even, they all were selfish. But the difference between being selfish and doing things selfishly is huge. Acting selfishly means, yep, I, I, at times I'm selfish, but you see it. You acknowledge it. You, turn, you, try, you, you confess it. You're like, Jesus, help me. I don't want to be there. Being selfish is I see it. I know it. I don't care. And I'm not changing. And you keep protecting self. Lazarus was just protecting self. So the question is, do you identify with Lazarus? Or Judas, I'm sorry, Judas. At times you're going to be selfish, but are you selfish? And the way you can really determine that is simple. Does it rob you of serving and giving? Serving and sacrifice. If, you don't, if, you can't, if you're not serving and you're not sacrificing, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Then fourthly, identify with the seeking of the crowd. The seeking of the crowd. Verse 9. It says, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You see, the crowds were showing up. People were hearing, hey, Lazarus came back from the dead. And they're like, what? No way. Yeah, really. So apparently, the news was, was spreading. And they, heard, they found out that he was at Simon's house. Jesus and Lazarus were there. They're like, oh, we got to go see this. And they show up. And here's the thing. They show up seeking because Jesus was there. But they're also seeking because Lazarus there. But here's the key. They left believing. They left believing. They showed up seeking. They left believing. They showed up just to see the show, but they left believing what they know. And what they know was, again, Jesus was probably teaching. All right? They didn't just show up and see Lazarus and go, oh, I believe. No. They had to have been taught Jesus telling what? I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. What you're seeing here is because of who I am. Lazarus just didn't wake up one day in the tomb and go, oh, I'm awake now. Jesus was like, I did that. 
because I am the son of God. I am from, and they believed him. They put their faith in Jesus. That's what that word believing means. That word believing means to put confidence in, to put faith in, to trust. They were believing in Jesus. They put their faith in him, put their trust in him. They, they had to come to the place where they believe, Jesus, you are the Messiah. It's the same thing that Jesus said to, 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 to Mary or to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you just believe, you will see the glory of God? And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's when Martha goes, you are him. You are him. These people had to have the same. I, they had to believe that. And the question is, is where are you today? Do you identify as a seeker today? Maybe you are, you, you're, you're here today and you still haven't put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've heard this thing taught and taught and taught, but you're still like, mm, I'm not sure yet. Well, here's the, here's the truth. Jesus is, keeps telling us, as we've seen in the book of John, he is the light. He is the way. He is the truth. There's no other way. He wants to give you eternal life. The only thing you have to do is put your faith in him. Not just in facts about him, but truly believe in him. Surrendering your life to him. Saying, Jesus, come into my life. Confessing the sin and asking Jesus to be your savior. That's what it means to believe. And maybe today you identify yourself as a seeker. But then lastly, I identify with the scorn of Lazarus. Notice that Lazarus is there, but yet the chief priests made plans also to kill, to kill Lazarus. Lazarus. I wonder if Lazarus like, saw the poster, his face next to Jesus. Like, wait a minute, what did I do? I just woke up in the grave and came out. Why are you killing me? Kill him. He did it. The reason is, is because he was a walking testimony of the power of Jesus. Lazarus was just simply a recipient of what Jesus did, but he became a walking testimony of the goodness and the grace and the mercy, the power and, and who Jesus, because his life is displaying to all the religious leaders, Jesus is who he is. And the religious leaders didn't like it. Jesus put a cramp big time in the religious establishment back then. And the religious leaders were tired of it. And now all these people who they wanted, they wanted all the worship from the people, they're leaving them and going to Jesus and believing in him. And now Lazarus is in the crosshairs too. Because they're like, we got to get rid of him. Because the more people see him, more people will believe in him. Let's get rid of Lazarus. Let's get rid of Jesus. And all will be well. Let me ask you, have you ever been hated because of your Christian faith? Lazarus is hated, despised, on the chopping block, because now he is a walking testimony for Jesus. Can you identify with that? Have you been ridiculed, mocked? made fun of? 
Have you had people say things about you because you're a believer in Jesus Christ? If not, you got to ask yourself, have you put yourself out there then? Because the reality is, if, if nobody knows you're a Christian, if you've never witnessed anybody and you don't say anything, who's going to persecute you? Who's going to make fun of you? Who's going to tease you? Who's going to call you names? Who's going to call you the Jesus freak? Who's going to call you whatever, whatever? I mean, somebody will say something against you. Because when you are a walking testimony of Jesus, you will ruffle feathers. There will be somebody who just does not like you because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. So guess what? If you truly are being a walking testimony for Jesus Christ, if you're, I'm not, I'm not talking about beating people up with a Bible. I'm just talking about when you have an opportunity and God opens a window for you and a door for you to talk to someone about Jesus and you start saying something religious and about Jesus and they look at you and go, oh, you a Jesus freak or something? Take that as a badge of glory because you're doing something right then. But if you have never felt the ridicule of somebody else, you're not that good. Because Jesus says, people will hate you because of me. So if you're like, no, Jim, I've never been teased. No one, everybody except Jesus, when I talk to him, something's wrong with that. Because Jesus was killed. Lazarus is about to be killed. And Jesus makes it very clear, people won't like you. If you're being a witness for me, and you're a light in the darkness, the darkness will rebel. Be ready for it. So if you're at work, you're with a friend, a family member, one of those you know, people you grew up with, you've been friends with, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to... I'm just doing, I'm just going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to invite them to church. And they look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. And all of a sudden, your best friend no longer wants to be your friend. Don't get mad. Don't be, get, don't be sad about it. Look at it and go, I'm doing something right then. Because I just, I just put Jesus out there and look what I got back. That's going to happen. Because Jesus tells us, people are going to hate you on account of me. So do you identify with Lazarus? So who do you identify with? I hope you identify with quite a few of them. Maybe some of them you're like, you know what, I got to grow in this area. But that's the goal, gang. We're not perfect, but let's keep growing. Let's keep maturing. And let's keep identifying with who we can be like. In these, in these verses. Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Judas, the crowd. Amen? Let's all stand. Well, Father, we just want to just bow our heads and just thank you for loving us for who you are. And Lord, help us to see these characters and see ourselves. Lord, help us continue to grow, help us continue to mature, help us to be more like Christ in, in our times of imperfection, in our times of
when we miss it and fail you, Lord, help us to get back on track. Help us, Lord, to pursue the righteousness that you have given us and help us, Lord, to identify and be more um, someone who is serving, sacrificing, someone who is witnessing. And Lord, even those who are part of the crowd today, Lord, just seeking you, that they would come to that place where they turn their heart to you. And Lord, when we are acting more like Judas, help us to come to that place where we're like, Lord, help us not to be there. And so, Father, we just praise you. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we've done.